Welcome in, everyone, to Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover, joining you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. On the far side of the screen, we got Kyle Crooks down in Gainesville, Florida. In the center of the screen from Pittsburgh, PA, Joe Block. And Joe, it's great to have you join us. And we've had a lot of Southern League reunions on this show, but I think this is the first time we've had three broadcasters for the Jacksonville Suns all in one spot. It's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, that, was a, that was a neat place. Uh, I got to... Uh, be the broadcaster there when the ballpark opened, which is now almost 20 years old. So uh, uh, I'm the old guy of the bunch. So nice to be <laughs> along with you guys today. So Joe, what's what's your off season been like? I always wonder, you know, for a baseball broadcaster that that grinds it out, it's a little bit different this year. It was a shortened season, only 60 games. But when you have to go through a long grind, how do you try and wind down in an off season? What does it look like for you? Yeah, this year there was no winding down really. Um, it, it felt like we barely had gotten started. Um, uh, we were having a baby at the time too. So, you know, once the season ended that we're getting into, you know, family mode again and, and that kind of thing. But, um, typically speaking for me, yeah, I think there's a, what, what I've kind of found to be beneficial is, um, I've kind of divided the off season typically into thirds and unofficially it just kind of ends up this way that that first third, when we get back, um, is nice weather and just try to get outside. Uh, you know, this is not, you know, non COVID times, get outside, go out, go out and do things, maybe travel a little bit locally with uh, my young family and just spend time with them. And then that second third is the holidays. Um, you know, uh, typically in typical years we would host Thanksgiving at our house and, uh, we'd have some Christmas get togethers and, and things like that. Um, and so, you know, and then basically after new year's, was that third third and that's when uh, naturally for me at least the juices start to get flowing again it, it you start to think okay we're about six seven weeks out um time to get to work so and that's where i'm at right now uh, you know right now everything is assumed that we're gonna have our first exhibition uh on the 27th of february so i've got everything timed kind of leading up to that so i'm doing um basically biographical work on our players, everyone that's going to be in camp. Um, and then I kind of gravitate toward doing some pre-prep for the regular season with other teams and doing some other um, background stuff. I also do um, a number of, I try to look at like ba overall baseball trends and I'll do that throughout the winter, you know, just on those fall or winter days where I'm uh, missing baseball and I'm, I'm curious about something or if I read a story that piques my interest about a topic, I'll go and, and look through some things um, and, and try to come up with some notes of some things that I might want to uh, work in early on in the season or in spring training or both. So that's kind of how the off season works. I, I try to take, you know, the first three months or so and just, you know, just unwind and, uh, and, and spend time with my family because, you know, in a typical year when we're traveling, um, you know, I don't see him very much. And I got a young family. The oldest is five. I got three kids, five and younger. So, you know, spend a lot of time with them. Um, and then uh, after that, it's just, uh, you know, all right, roll up the sleeves. Let's go get ready for baseball season. So that's usually kind of the mode I'm I'm in right now. We know how different this season was and in, in calling those road games remotely and calling games with no fans in, in the stands. How did you adjust to it? One you know, calling the action off of monitors, but having to create that juice of, of a road game when you don't have the crowd or the atmosphere around you and you're, you're trying to 
create energy for something that's happening maybe thousand mile a thousand miles away it was almost harder for us um well it's kind of i don't know and and i think our experience might be a little bit different than some other teams because our crew we switch tv and radio so um road tv actually seemed okay uh sometimes because um we had a very cool studio to work with um, uh, at AT&T Sportsnet Pittsburgh. And it almost felt like there was an audience because there was always, you know, a camera operator or two on the other side of the studio is, um, you know, the other half designated for the actual studio. Usually they have the whole thing to, to play with. They were nice enough to kind of give us half of it to have a little work area. But, um, um, so the guys might be sitting at the desk watching the game too, and we can talk to them between innings, you know, from across the room, you know, and, and that kind of almost felt a little bit more normal, um, even though we're not at the ballpark at all. But when we were at the park, having no fans, I mean, you're always looking at empty seats and it's so unusual, especially on home runs, you'd see that. Um, and there is such a palpable energy whenever there's any decent crowd. I mean, even if there's, a few thousand, you know, working in the minor leagues in, in baseball or in college, especially in college. I, I don't care if you get 2000 people in a or 1000 people in a gym, a smaller, smaller gym in college basketball. Um, it feels like the place is is rocking, you know, and that, and that's all that matters really is just to have that energy. So it, and 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 everyone's going to snicker who listens to uh, the pirate games. Um, I'm typically a lower stated guy as it is so i really have had to struggle with trying to keep that energy up um and you know this helps <laughs> um but um but i think that's i think that's part of the equation too is you know we're pros and we're, we're supposed to adjust to all environments so um but the, the hardest part of it all wasn't generating the energy it wasn't even calling a game off a monitor which was an adjustment and is not it is quite imperfect um but I think we were able to manage adequately. But the hardest part about it all was not being around the team and having no pulse at all of what's going on with the team, especially in baseball, because th there are so many things that are happening. And our analysts especially are very good. Um, they could be big league managers. I mean, those guys, are they know the game so well, um, and they have questions that they want answered. Um, I have things I'm thinking I'm observing or – would like to ask about a trend or just different things that they might be feeling or they're, they're going to face this guy tonight, um, you know, or tomorrow night. I want to ask about, there's just so many things that just get totally washed away that never get asked, never ha have any idea what's happening. And I found myself being way more critical of the team. And now they finished with the poorest record in baseball. Um, but I'm, I try to be fair and it was really hard to be fair sometimes because all I'm, being able to judge off of is what I'm seeing on a monitor. I'm not even in the ballpark uh, half the time to even, you know, to know, is this guy limping onto the plane? Is, is that why he's not running a ball out or he can't move to his right? Things like that. I mean, there's so many things that just fell through the cracks that, you know, I'm watching these, I'm watching the NFL games. I'm watching the NBA and the NHL and the college broadcast now as a fan. I don't notice, you know, cause I'm watching for 20 minutes here or an hour here um, but if I'm watching a team every night, which I, I pick a couple teams that I have, um, you know, I watch the Penguins and I watch the Pistons pretty regularly. Um, I can notice a difference of, you know, the, the, 
the things that the analysts can work in or even the play-by-play guys can work in. You see so much less of that. And so I think it's, it's noticeable to us. I hope it's not noticeable to our audience, but I think that's what really gets lost is you can't explain what's taking place. And when you're on a, a team that's not doing well, um, you really need to do that to really personify the people. I haven't even met half our team. And so that, that's where you, it becomes a worry that, you know, I understand safety protocols. They, knew, they do need to continue. But beyond that, uh, I, I don't think this kind of way can continue. I hope that's a short enough answer for you. We have an hour, right? That's right. Yeah, we're filling an hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of along those lines with broadcasting in 2020, you mentioned calling games off a monitor. Uh, I know for the TV side, probably sticking with looking at the program feed, but when you were calling radio, uh, what did you mainly watch? Did you watch the program monitor? Did you watch the all nine? How did you kind of get some eye discipline uh, through calling games remotely? Yeah, so um, we were set up with um, three basically three monitors um, and the middle one was program and then we had the all nine in front of the analyst and me so those were the three and then we had we each had a smaller monitor kind of off to my right and to his left um, that would have balls and strikes and scoreboard and some other things in case we bullpens bullpen cameras so we can kind of see those things kind of in a quad view so if somebody's getting up in the bullpen and they can't cut to it on the TV broadcast right away, I can see, all right, so-and-so's getting up, or at least I, I can see somebody's getting up. So it's kind of like, a, you know, real baseball, you know, you're looking down there like, <laughs> ah, somebody's got, I don't know who it is. Somebody's getting up. I'll wait for TV to show it. Um, so, um, but in terms of training the eye, I think what I was trying to do was, um, I was trying to watch the program monitor, watch the pitch come in because um, I like to describe where the pitch was, what the pitch was. Um, it also helps me, especially like, like I just mentioned, there's so little information that we really have other than just watching the games. So I'm going to try to find as much information out during the game as I can. So, all right, um, Chad Cool just threw a curveball. Um, and he missed with it down and in to the right-handed batter, you know, and I know he missed with it because he's not trying to go in there with it. You, know, you see the catcher's glove, plus that's, you know, this, this hitter's a pull hitter. He can, you know, uppercutting, swing, yank the ball, you know. So I'm, I'm paying attention to, to that so we, I can, you know, uh, peak our analyst, that kind of thing. And so then if I see that contact is made, then my eyes are going to go, in this case, to the right in our, on our bank, and I can go over there and see the ball put into play. And then what I would do is before the pitch, I would glance over. Uh, maybe there's a shift. Maybe the, the shift is shifted. You know, a lot of times with two strikes, we'd see um, the infielders move as well. So um, see if the outfield swung around. Mention that uh, typically at least once a batter. So um, so I, that was kind of the, the pendulum effect that I'd have. Check the defense. Watch the pitch come in go back to the defense but of course baseball is unique you know you're watching the pitch from center field and you're watching it leave from you know behind you know in that case behind the plate so it's such a oh you know it's 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 uh it's a complete opposite of of nature so you have to really think about it and um it wasn't always easy i couldn't for instance i couldn't tell a, a line drive in the infield from a one hopper and there'd be times i'd get caught saying you know line drive on a hop, you know, 
So I just realized I, I got to lay back, you know, and judging home runs, not easy as it is normally. Um, so anything that was hit deeply, I just say hit deeply and I just wait. And okay, it's, it's gone, <laughs> you know, or, or oh, it's caught, you know. And so it was really, a, 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 I wasn't able to be on the play nearly as much, but, you know, I'm just trying to slow down, try to get it right, dumb it down. And uh, that's how I did it. Certainly made it work uh, during the 2020 season. And that was your last season, of course, in baseball. You're getting ready for one coming up this year. But what about the spark for you? Uh, what made you want to get into broadcasting? And then what took it from just an interest into some steps you took to get on the mic? Um, well, I mean, I, did, I, I don't know. I just kind of always wanted to do this. I was four and I wanted to be a game show host. And um, I announced that to my family. And I'm sure they were real pleased by that <laughs> like oh well, great all right that's what you're gonna do pat me on the head but uh no i really liked game shows and and you know the the strategy involved with the game shows the hosting aspect of um you know uh entertaining informing kind of um helping everybody along uh you know the audience understand what's taking place so i guess that's probably something i've always innately desired to do and then uh, i became a baseball fan ardently around age eight so that's kind of when I switched uh, my my career goals I know I'm str very strange um, but that was that was it I said I was going to be a baseball broadcaster and um, so I started practicing at that time into a cassette tape recorder and um, you know doing more hosting the pregame show uh, you know my own pregame show uh, reading the lineups that kind of thing and then uh, gravitating toward doing some um, actual play-by-play -play when I got older uh, I think it's really hard at age eight to have your mind work like that I think but when I was about 14 or so I was starting to really practice that and then um, in those days you know it, nowadays you just make a YouTube channel or whatever um, but uh, I uh, went to a public access station in Roseville Michigan uh, and those guys Mike Moritz and Gene Barrett and Tom Hughes who still does he still does camera for the Tigers uh, FS Detroit um, so those guys uh, really helped us out uh, to host a, a show about Roosevelt High School sports and then they would broadcast a few high school football games so I did a couple high school football games at 15 and you know then I'm just like okay this is I, I like this this is good and you know I did some more I would do like our high school basketball video and but I do the play-by-play -play into it and the coaches will say stop doing that we just want the video <laughs> we're not paying you to do play-by-play -play. you know but I, I kept practicing and in college at Michigan State they didn't really have student play-by-play um, -play, but I would do other things uh, I worked in radio and I worked in television and then I worked in uh, which I really strongly suggest newspaper and kind of cut you know learn how to be a reporter learned news judgment um, learn journalistic integrity and I think that's helped me so much in this job um, because so much of what we do anytime it's beyond the normal you know baseball game uh, especially in this last year there's so much that you have to think about so uh, and then after college I went into minor league baseball and you know st started doing the games and and really as you guys know once you do one or two minor league seasons you know if you're cut out to do baseball or not because it's every day uh, for you know in the minors five months in the big league seven and a half months eight and a half if you're lucky so uh, you really got to love it and I certainly did and so luckily enough I'm still paid to do it so I get to keep doing it it's fun 
How much did you learn? That first stop, right, Joe, was, was Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and, and I read you went to the winter meetings in 99 after you graduated. 1999. Was, <laughs> is that right? That's correct. Last right? century. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't want to date you. I don't want to make you feel old. But what was well, that? You're that... not making me feel Waking up makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> but what... Um, what was that experience like for you? Because I know when a lot of guys and, and gals graduate, they're they're kind of scared of the prospects of the of the industry and going to that first winter meetings and and trying to connect with everybody. So, how did you handle that and get your first job in the minors? Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was out in Anaheim, and I grew up in Michigan, uh, in Detroit, and um, I was you know went to school at Michigan State, so uh, Michigan. I, I never lived anywhere else, and. So uh, Anaheim, California is a long way. Um, went out with a buddy, uh, my roommate, and which was really cool. He ended up getting a job in Lansing, which I thought was hilarious. About you know you go all the way out there, and you get a job with the lug nuts. I was like, okay, but um, I didn't know anything about anything really. Um, so uh, two guys really helped out: Doug Greenwald, broadcaster for many many years, um, and then uh, Neil Solins, uh, who works uh, now with the Rays, uh, pre and post. Uh, done uh, many years of play-by-play too those guys were already a, a little bit established and uh, they were there and I remember both those guys separately um, just seeing some wide-eyed kid and saying hey you know and I think they're only a couple of years older than me but uh, at that time it feels like such a chasm to have had a couple of years of minor league experience under their belts and and so they said okay here's what you're gonna do you're gonna go and you're gonna look around and see what jobs you want and you write your name on the list and uh, wear a suit and um, check back periodically and you know that's how it worked in those days and um, if, if they want you for an interview they'll put you down and make sure you're there on time and show up with a resume and a smile and have at it you know or whatever you know but it's like I don't I, I didn't know I didn't know what to do and it's like yeah go around talk to people you know get to know people okay great so I applied for a bunch of jobs got turned down um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe half of them I didn't even get an interview, and then the other, uh, you know, four or five, I think I got I think I got three interviews or two interviews um, or something like that. But uh, Charleston uh, was interesting, and I'm glad I got interviewed there because I noticed that they were owned by Mike Veck. And, you know, anyone that knows about baseball, Bill Veck, of course, the Hall of Fame owner, and Mike's his son, and I go, well, the apple probably doesn't fall far from the tree. I think this is going to be really cool. And then you go on to learn that Bill Murray is an, uh, an involved um, co-owner. And, uh, you know, this is kind of interesting. All right, this would be great. So I sit down, and uh, the guy that's going to interview me is the current broadcaster. And, you know, this is, this is I just, I'm so fortunate because, look, I mean, you, I, I'm talking to two guys right now that could be doing what I'm doing just as easily as I could. It's... Um, there, there's so many guys that are so talented and 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 good, just good. Um, and I'm not any more special than any of them. I just have had a lot of breaks, I think, along the way. And so the guy I sit next to is Dave Raymond. You know, Dave Raymond's done the Astros for a million years, and then he, he's been Rangers TV for a million years, and he's excellent. Um, it could have been anybody doing those games, but it happens to be a guy that was on his way to becoming a big league announcer. So I make a relationship there, and he likes me, so he ends up. Uh, recommending me to get hired, and I do get hired. But Dave gets uh, a job at Iowa at AAA that he can't pass up. So I never work with Dave. And then the season rolls around, and there was a, a duo, Jim Lucas and Don Wardlow, 
who had worked games in the Eastern League and in St. Paul prior. And uh, they worked together because Don was born without eyes and needed somebody to describe the action. And Don was an excellent analyst. Uh, he knew the game of baseball very well. And what, what really taught me about uh, well, he taught me many things, Don did, but um, one thing that he taught me was he did so much work, like I was talking earlier about biographical work. So he can't see, so he does, you know, and he's obviously, he's played beeper ball, but he's never played the game as it's played out there. So he's got to ask these guys about their lives and, and questions and, and, and colorful things. And so he would talk to everybody and would learn so much about these guys. He would get on the internet and and, and find out a little nugget and then try to expound upon it and tell a story. And it was excellent. And so I've tried to do that all these years is, is make sure I've got a couple of stories about guys, you know, even in spring training, the 60th guy in camp, he's got a story and there's something interesting and there might be lots of things that are interesting. So let's find out about them, you know, and if you don't find anything, um, you know, there's a language barrier with a, a lot of players. There's an, there's an interesting story there. We have translators. You know, I try to find out, um, you know, what, what their stories are. You know, the Spanish-speaking players, for instance, too. Uh, and Don would try to do the same things. So I, I remember that distinctly. So, um, so that's who I worked with. I did pre- and post-game for Jim and Don's broadcast, which there was nothing like it. There never has been, never will be again. Um, or maybe there will be again. I hope so. But... Um, with, uh, with Don, I got to work with him for a few games. Um, that was like the carrot that they dangled. You get to do about eight games of play-by-play. So I worked with Don. So the first you know, professional baseball games I ever broadcast was with an announcer born without eyes. So that taught me right away, hey, you got to describe the action because your audience can't see and Don can't see and Don can't do his job right if you're not describing the action very well. And I didn't do it very well and he let me know on the air and so I, I was quickly moved to do a better job and so um you know he helped me out a lot so that's the long-winded answer again that you weren't looking for this is, this is you only had to do four questions <laughs> we can make this broadcast for two hours if you'd yeah. like yeah um what are the some of the things the first few years joe that you're trying to work on uh in, in your play-by-play when you think about kind of the bare bones what are those things Oh boy! Wow, that's 20, 20 plus years ago now. Um, well, first of all, I still think that you always can improve. I mean, I'm I'm working on stuff already right now. I th- I'm okay. Here's what I'm going to think about this year. But yeah, as you get along, hopefully you're polishing. Um, I, I and I still do this, um, just not to the same degree or volume. But um, I would write to a lot of different broadcasters uh, and decision makers. Um, and send my stuff in and, and get their input. And so they kind of, at first, you know, really told me basically what I needed to, to work on. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really know. It was just all kind of a mess for the first few years there, I think. And then after my first year in Jacksonville, I think, so that was my fourth, let's see, yeah, fourth year in baseball, but really I'd only broadcast for two of those years. Um, you know, any regular play-by-play. So at that point, I started, to, and I had done some big league games filling in uh, with Elliot Price in Montreal at that point. So so I've had a, a very small taste of what the big leagues are like, and I just, like, 
I just started to get a feeling for, all right, now I can kind of understand what I need to be doing. And, you know, I still would solicit um, for uh, more advice, uh, of course. But those first first few years, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, it, I was just trying to get reps and really just, I didn't even know how to get better. I, my voice was different. Um, you know, I, I, I think this is common with a lot of, you know, first time broadcasters, you try to put on a voice, um, you think you need to sound differently. Um, I, I listened back, you know, and I, oh, just like, what is that? A very nasally sound to it. I mean, so it's just some, some basics were not there. Um, you know, d- just ways to be more descriptive, more succinct, um, um, you know, crutches uh, that are, are commonplace, I think. Uh, preparation, dress, you know, I think was something. Um, I didn't take that very seriously at first. Um, you know, wouldn't shave. Sometimes I wouldn't sleep. I'd drink too much the night before or whatever. You know, I was just <laughs> I was 22 or 23 years old. Just go out, dating a girl at the time. We'd just go out with the players and be out all night. You know, it's like independent ball. You go out with, you know, Winnipeg or whatever. Just, all right, it's 5 a.m. Probably should get to bed for the day. Game the next day. <laughs> you know, like you can't do that. Like you, okay, you got to prepare a little bit more. You know, preparation, um, understanding what was required in that department. So I, you know, I don't claim to have had it figured out from the outset. I, very much the opposite. I, I, I've had a lot of people help guide me through um, you know, through this journey, especially early on, because uh, I really had, I had all the enthusiasm for it. I just had no idea really how to do it. And so um, little by little, I kind of figured it out through trial and error. And after you get to a point in Jacksonville, I know you and I have talked about this before, uh, you get to a point where, yes, you kind of figured out what minor league baseball is like and how to be a successful minor league broadcaster, but there are things you need to do around the minor league baseball work to make your work stand out and ultimately uh, start moving up in the business. So what were some of those big steps you took ultimately uh, working your way out of minor league baseball to some great opportunities? Yeah, I mean, you know, broadcasting a minor league baseball game isn't much different than a big league game. I think it's harder uh, in the minors because you have fewer resources. Um, you know, we have all these camera angles and a, a TV replay all the time. And, um, you know, on the lower levels, you may, may not have game day at, uh, you know, and things like that. And, um, so we, uh, you know, better game notes and fewer responsibilities. You could just, bro- you know, my job is to broadcast a game. My, my job is not to, you know, sell group tickets and bring in this group, this, you know, all this other stuff that, hey, you know, it help, helps you as a well-rounded, um, you know, person uh, in the business. I mean, I like that I have some understanding of all the different fields, but, you know, um, it does take away from it. So I think it is harder. Now, the, to differentiate yourself, I think, um, you know, one of the things I was doing was, you know, trying to create a website uh, at that time was, a little unusual. I don't think everybody had one, you know, nowadays it's just like, what do you mean a website? What's a web? You know, it's like so archaic sounding, but, um, but that was a way for people to be able to quickly access my work. Um, you know, I had uh, a website also, um, that kind of was, uh, it wasn't the first, but it, I think it was the, the most comprehensive and put together and widely accepted, website with another guy, Jim Toko, another broadcaster who did fine work. Um, and the two of us, we put this, it was like a broadcasting job news. 
and so everybody can kind of and in conversation on a message board kind of thing so it was it was a place to congregate for sports broadcasters so that helped open some doors for me but also um just kind of get my name out there uh, somewhat so that was kind of a, a you know i think something i tell broadcasters today is you know you don't have to um it's it's not enough to just apply for every job you you might get the job um and you might keep advancing that way but there's so many other things one ought to do. You have to be relentless, I think, because it's super competitive. Um, it's usually a friendly competition, but it's super competitive. Um, it's so subjective. You can be the best and not get the job, you know, um, or you could be the third best or the seventh best and get the job. So, <laughs> you know, like um, that's how I felt with. So I'm like, well, I would have picked him, but I'll, I'll take it. Thanks. You know, um, so I, I just think that that's. Uh, one of the things I've done uh, through the years and continue to do is just network and 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 genuinely get to know people, make friendships, make relationships with people. Um, it's not so much, well, I might need that guy one day, so I'm going to butter him up and you know and then ask him for something. It's like, well, yeah, it may be that, and they kind of understand that if you know dis- decision makers, other broadcasters. Um, yeah, to a degree, sure, of course. But it, like, there's a tone that gets established. It's like, you know, hey, we're here to, to help each other out. And sometimes I'm going to be in a position to help you. Sometimes you're going to be in a position to help me. And we just move along and, and have a good time, you know, getting to do what we like to do. So I think that's the, the idea is, you know, really scour um, for jobs, um, make yourself find, you know, make, make yourself opportunities. Um, one of the things that I do too is, um, you know, I, I remember one off season, I didn't have any, this is before I went to Jacksonville. I didn't have anything lined up, um, for baseball the next year. I was doing a little bit of, um, like SoCon basketball, men's basketball, but that was it on TV. And that was it. Like, I think three games or maybe in three Mac games, I think. And that was it. So I had like six games. That's it. That's all I had. And, and that was going to be it. So, I called every Division One um, men's basketball program, uh, you know, after their seasons were over, like in the early, you know, and I called every minor league team, baseball team, you know, to find opportunities. And there, I did find some jobs that weren't being posted, that weren't available, um, and that I could apply for. Doesn't mean I got them, but it gave me another opportunity that maybe somebody else, or not as many people had heard of yet, or you know, that kind of thing. So. Um, I think if you're just relentless like that, um, in a in a good way, in a in a in a neighborly way, not in you know cutthroat. I'm going to get you. You know, I'm going to I'm going to beat everybody down to the ground. No, but I mean, but if you're trying to do everything you can to promote yourself um, and, and move along um, and and create, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is like um, so Melanie Newman I think is a great example. Melanie now does Orioles games. Um, and Jeff Arnold as well. Uh, they just both got hired this past year. Both, uh, both of them, I've known them for a while now. And um, Mel- Melanie introduced herself in Atlanta one time. Uh, Jeff, I'm trying to think where I first met Jeff. Jeff and I have stayed in touch through the years. Um, he's come out here to Pittsburgh. I think he was doing a, a high school football game one time. And like, hey, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh. Can we have lunch one day? You know, great. Yeah. Um, Melanie came by, said, Hey, 
Um, do you got any time before the game to, to check? Yeah, actually, yeah. You know, we sat for about a half hour. She just asked some questions, whatever. You know, I knew of her. Um, I knew of, of Jeff. Um, I had, you know, I ha- I'm aware of these people. They, they've been in a big league booth. Uh, they, you know, okay. They kind of, and then decision makers, same thing, right? So then when it comes time to make a decision, these aren't just some anonymous names. These are people that you, you've met before not just when you're interviewing them but you've met them before they've been you've seen them around you've heard of them you've talked to them now it's a more logical step even though jeff both of them were working in the carolina league right no double a no triple a um i think melanie is in her late 20s jeff's early 30s so i mean this is a that's a big step, right? But it didn't feel that way because these are names that you've seen. These are people that you kind of know a little bit. It, it didn't feel so foreign. Um, it didn't feel like as big of a step as it probably was. So they put themselves, I think, ahead of a lot of other people because of that kind of networking. So those are just some of the examples, I think, of, of ways that you can um, put yourself near the front of the line. And I, I think I'm proof positive of that. I think that kind of work ethic, that kind of dedication and relentlessness put me closer to jobs than a lot of my friends who I think and some of whom are I think are distinctly more talented and better um, but maybe not at those little aspects and maybe that put me ahead on some of these jobs so just being frank about it you know absolutely and that led to some great opportunities for you not only in the NBA with New Orleans and then ultimately uh, going to the major leagues for baseball uh, first with the Dodgers with Dodger talk then to the Brewers and then to the Pirates just what can you tell us about some of those steps along the way once you finally got your major league opportunities and then even how you were able to interview and land some of these big jobs yeah I mean um, you know so with Dodger talk I worked for KABC in Los Angeles who at that time was the flagship and this is an example of what I was just talking about um, I never applied for that job. Um, they called me and I don't have an agent. I should preface everything I'm saying. I've never had an agent. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't get one. Um, it depends on what you're trying to do. I think an agent can be beneficial for, for a lot of broadcasters and for some it, it does not. I mean, uh, in my case, I felt like I could do a lot of the things that agents can do. Um, so I would just do them. So in this case, um, the Dodgers called me because I had worked Jacksonville used to be a Dodgers minor league affiliate. And I got to know some people within their organization, um, through those four years. And one of whom, Josh Rowich, who is now in Arizona was in a position to, if not hire, certainly recommend to hire, um, people in broadcasting with the Dodgers. And so he and I had a strong relationship still do, of course. And, um, and so he, uh, had a need kind of close to the season asked me if I'd like to do it. I had just gotten engaged three days prior. <laughs> so I was like, hey, honey, uh, you want to move to L.A. instead of you know, New Orleans, you know, like where we're living? So um, which made it that's another story for another day. But uh, so I think some of that work, that groundwork that I had done through the years, I mean, I didn't even have to apply. They called me. And at that time, that was a huge break for me because I was working in New Orleans doing pre and post in, in the NBA, which is a nice gig. But I ultimately wanted to call Major League Baseball games. So to get to Major League Baseball, I thought was a big deal. To do post game for the Dodgers in the number two market, that to me said, okay, if you look at my resume, I've done enough play-by-play, baseball play-by-play in the minors. 
to know how to call a game, and it shows, uh, you know, on the on the sheet, on the sheet of paper. Um, I've worked in the NBA. I've come back to, to baseball now, and I'm working in L.A. I mean, it. In, in theory, I could work anywhere. I could work in any market in Major League Baseball and do play-by-play. You know, maybe as a number two, but, you know, to come in and do do the games. So I said, I got to, you know, this is the opportunity I got to take. So um, that was something that I think st- stood uh, stands out to me to try to relate to you guys is that um, if, you know, if you put in that kind of work, you might get that kind of opportunity too, where you're not applying. Um, now, what was your question again, Roger? Because <laughs> I got <laughs> yeah. No. You're asking just kind of how those all came about. Yeah, and just kind of the string going from uh, what you're able to use your Dodgers opportunity to take into mm-hmm. Milwaukee and then ultimately to Pittsburgh. Yeah, so then, you know, Milwaukee, um, I ended up so – so the other point I wanted to make was um, it doesn't have to be linear, and it almost mm-hmm. never is broadcasting. So, uh, Roger, you and I were talking before we came on today. Um if you, like for instance, I want to do Major League Baseball play-by-play. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you work in wooden bat leagues and you work in the minors and you work in A ball, Double A, Triple A, and then you, it almost never works that way. Um, for me, I backed out of baseball, you know, uh, and I did pre and post. I backed out of play-by-play. I did I did talk in Jacksonville for a year or so. Um, so I and and I, you know, it's just you take the opportunities, and I think you try to give potential employers as few reasons to say no as possible so whatever those opportunities are in front of you you know capitalize on them take them for sure but there's you don't have to you know get to a certain point i mean you look at some guys they get a job uh and they have almost no experience doing that and they can still be very good at it or sometimes they fall flat on their faces you know but um there's no real rhyme or reason to the Ascension is the other point I want to make. Now, uh, from L.A. to Milwaukee, um, just like I pointed out, um, I work here. I should be able to get a major league play-by-play job, um, maybe as a number two, and that's what I ended up doing. But here's two things that go on behind the scenes that make it look a lot, you know, it's not seamless. It's, It's not as seamless as it seems, right? I go from L.A. Then the very next year I'm in Milwaukee working with Bob Uecker, uh, wonderful, you know, wonderful time. Um, but it didn't, it didn't go as it, it just, it looked so smooth, but it wasn't that way. So they switched flagships in LA. I was not going to be brought back to the new flagship station. They already had some personalities in place that they wanted to use guys that they had under contract guys that they had under contract for significantly more money. Um, they're going to get the job, right? Okay. So totally understand that that's the business. Um, so my wife and I newly married, I mean, I think we're a month, month in, not even a month into being married. Uh, we had just moved her out to LA. Uh, I'm out of work. Okay. Um, you know, now luckily she's a a very accomplished nurse now, nurse practitioner. Um, you know, we were okay for a while, but what are we going to do? We're 3000 miles away from home here in Pittsburgh. So, uh, it turned out that, um, I, the twins had an opening. So I'm going to apply for the twins job. I didn't even get a letter back, an email, nothing. So now that's not to disparage the twins. They're great. But that just shows you how subjective this business is. In the same offseason, the same resume, the same um, demo I'm sending out, I send it to the twins. I'm not even you know, remotely a consideration. 
Um, but that's because, in part, I think, I didn't have a strong re relationship with anybody in the organization, um, probably because when I worked in St. Paul, I had already worked in that market for two years, but I didn't know when I was 23 years old that I should be, you know, really getting to know the people at the Twins, because eventually one day that might benefit me. I just, you know, I'm 23. I didn't get it. I didn't know at the time. So they hired Corey Provis, who was working with Uke uh, in Milwaukee, and he's still there. It's a great hire. Uh, he's raising a family there. It, it's worked out perfectly for him. The Twin Cities are wonderful. My best friend lives there. It's great. So I was a little, you know, disappointed. I was, oh, I'm in great to work in Minnesota. Um, but now the Milwaukee job opens up. Now I did have, um, some contacts, uh, with the Brewers and had for a while, um, Tyler Barnes, who's still there, uh, a good friend and somebody I've trusted for a, a lot of years. He ended, he was the PR guy in Detroit. I grew up in Detroit uh, for the Tigers in 1998 when I uh, kind of did some like, you know, I, I was kind of an intern for WJR, their flagship at the time, sort of. Um, Dan Dickerson, who was my journalism teacher's husband, that's, uh, who was not yet the play-by-play -play announcer in Detroit. Um, he was doing sports rap. He invited me to come down and get some sound for his, his show. And so I'd do that, and Tyler would be the PR guy. He'd sign my media pass, and I'd, I'd talk with Tyler. Well, you know, 10, 12 years later, he's giving me an opportunity. So um, because I've kept that relationship up for a dozen years or so. So, the, so Milwaukee does work. But it wasn't after I had been let go, you know, in theory, or just not renewed, however you want to put it, and been turned down for a similar job. So I think... I think that's another lesson to learn is, you know, just like dating, <laughs> you got to be, you're going to get no a lot. Uh, at least I did. I mean, maybe you guys don't. Kyle know, does. I, I, I mean, look at Kyle's the right face now. guy of any group. I mean, look at that beard and the nice hair. You got that like corny hair, or whatever that's called. I, I don't know what that's called because I, I haven't had any of that in 20 years. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of no's. You get a lot of no's. And, uh, and you got to roll with it and just say, I'm just giving myself chances. I'm giving myself chances. Keep rolling it out there, and eventually something's going to stick. Uh, and it did. Luckily, that very off season, and you know, it's it's begun what seems to be a seamless transition for me in baseball. Let me ask you about working with Uke, and and let me ask you about dating. <laughs> please, please. If you want to use a baseball analogy? I'm batting below the Mendoza line on, on the dating. Swing and a miss. One <laughs> out of five's not bad. <laughs> okay, exactly. But. Um, Working with you, being in the booth with him, and, and we all know his personality. Is he kind of the same guy off the air as he is on the air? What was that relationship like with you two? And you talk about the Mendoza line. It really should be the Euchre line because he batted 200 <laughs> for his career. Um, but Euchre is a wonderful friend. And I feel, by the way, I feel so much for him today with Henry Aaron passing away. Those two, and Phil Necro a couple weeks ago, too. Uh, two longtime friends and teammates of his. I've been. I dare not reach out today. I just I can't think of where he's at right now. But um, but yeah, he and I and and and, uh, and uh, our wives have stayed in touch all these years. He's a wonderful human being, and but he's just as funny as you think he is in, in person, if not more so, because uh, there's no censors. Um, but uh, uh, I lost Judy sitting behind him. Then that, that's his censor. His wife, you know, is, that's his censor. But uh, yeah, it's um, he. The thing I, I can't even talk about uh, in, in just all the diff different things that are cool about being around him. Um, first of all, 
him playing the game, he was a real good catcher too, a really good catcher. Um, and you know, good catchers usually know know the game, and and he knows the game of baseball fantastically. So sitting next to him, just the things that he picks up on, and just learning about the game, um, wonderful. Talking about the game between innings, before the game, after the game, uh, things that I saw and thought I saw, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Uh, we could talk about. Um, so great, but the laughs, obviously, and I know that's what you're getting at. Is um, I don't know if there's anybody in baseball, and there have been few others around, um, you know, in, in our lifetimes that have had the same the quick wit that he does. He is able to find something hilarious about you, you don't even know it's coming, and then all of a sudden there's just this punchline that takes place and. You know where did that come from? And it's he's a master. And you know I'm a big fan of comedy, uh, stand-up comedy especially. And I watch I, I, anything I can get my hands on. Uh, I'll, I'll watch them. You know the the Netflix specials and and you know try try to really uh, hone in on on what they're doing and and watch them and, and just enjoy it. But it's so so natural to him. Um, and uh, it's neat. It's just need to be around. It's funny. I'll, I'll tell a story. Um, so we're, let's see, Milwaukee is like getting close to, um, like they were in first place. It was the 2014 season. I think it was 2014. They're, they're in first place for most of the year. And, but now they're sliding and we're trying to like hang on and, and make the postseason, which they ultimately did not. But um, we're trying to find like a, a, a good luck charm. So let's see here. <laughs> so i'm by my basement bar down here so we got this is more for ornamentation than actual consumption at least at noon um but uh so we we get a little of this out someone someone's you know so the thing about you is he's gonna be 87 years old he's the youngest i mean I, i'm 42 i feel like he was younger than me like he's just like he's because he hangs out with the players and like he's just he's a young spirit he's mr baseball you know baseball keeps us young so he's like all right the guys are telling me this is like you know six seven years ago the guys are telling me about fireball you know now this is not something we would normally do but he's like hey you know let's take a cap full of this and just maybe that's our our good luck charm and you know whatever and so it was and like okay now it does again it doesn't affect us we're not like you know looped out or something on the broadcast but it was just a way to like go all right we got to shake this up and it worked they won that game so now the next night and again just a little cap full just a little okay you know haha all right we do it but now everybody that's in the room has to do it so there's there's people in a room that i don't think have ever had alcohol before or whatever you know and it was kind of hilarious so i mean adults not kids or anything like that so now this has become a thing so people will walk in at right at the wrong time and go oh no is it because it started they won again so they kept oh did i walk in at the wrong time you know and some people would walk in yeah. on purpose at the right yeah. time <laughs> you know <laughs> it got to be a big group i think they won maybe three in a row and then they lost and then that was the end of the tradition but it was you know it's just stuff like that it's like you know, him being an ex-player and him being, you know, who he is, just such a special person and personality. Um, every, even the, the low times, and the Brewers have had a lot of low times, uh, you know, in, in his half century at the mic. You know, he makes it fun. We had a game in Wrigley, um, one of the poorer years, 
uh, and and you know the Brewers are getting their hat handed to them, and the uh, uh, Kyuji Fujikawa came in to pitch for the Cubs, and Yuke starts talking about how Fujikawa we should write this sitcom where Fujikawa stars as um, he's kind of this like landlord, but like kind of a bad landlord, but um, but he tries to pretend he's a good landlord, and he but there's a pizza there's like a pizza place like a pizzeria at the at the bottom of the apartment building that he runs and he gives everybody pizza so they think he's a good guy but really he's like jacking up the rent and he's like he's like having people sign leases for uh, and it's like this apartment building right behind Wrigley and he says yeah it's a ballpark view but it's really just like in the wall they can't see into the ballpark and you just see the wall like he's developing this sitcom and like a, a story arc for the sick while Kyuji Fujikawa pitches this like mop up inning for the Cubs in like an 11 to one game in the eighth inning. And it's all brilliant, you know, and I'm just egging him on more and more, you know, you know, just trying to inch it along as he brings it a, another mile. And, uh, it's just, he has a way to make every day fun. Um, and it's infectious and it's wonderful. So I hope that answers your question. No, I, I, it sounds like he's writing TV shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some of that fireball is gone, though. We'll mention that. Well, yeah, that was last night, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to play-by-play principles for you. How descriptive do you like to get in your call? What do you think is not enough, and what do you think is too much? Because I think there is that line that sometimes you can tiptoe. Sure. Uh, John Miller gave me some really good advice. Uh, you know, punch words, be succinct. Um and he's excellent. No one's ever, I'm not going to claim that I'm anywhere in, in that vicinity, but um, it was good advice. And I've tried to get to somewhere along those lines. Um, you know, when you say not in time, not to say safe out, you know, that those are, no one says not in time. No one says not in time anywhere. Um, safe. I understand what I mean. Out. Okay. Things like that. Um, now the other you know, the other side of the, the, the coin there is, all right, when you've got some downtime and your analyst is just, you know, you've got 162 of these things, you know, maybe he's just kind of, maybe he's hungover, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's tired. Maybe he's just, the game's boring. He's just not into it, whatever. Uh, you got some time on your hands, you know, give us some description. Tell us what's going on. Or, you know, maybe it's uh, the, the beauty uh, of baseball. Um, uh, Donald Hall, the late poet, would talk about how, um, one of his favorite things in baseball was that time of the anticipation, of course, you know, between moments in baseball. And some of them are so mundane and some of them can be, you know, so thrilling. And it's just nothing is happening, but everything is happening. And so sometimes you can really capture um, the, the moment by describing. Sometimes it's better to lay out. Sometimes it's better to, to talk about it, especially, you know, obviously when you're on the radio. Uh, you know, the pitcher goes back and takes off his cap, wipes his brow, rubs up the baseball, you know, circles half the mound, gets up there, you know, bends down and nervous, nervously, you know, looking in for the sign, put down, here's the pitch, you know, like, wow, you know, okay, you really feel like you're there now. So there's different times where you might want to do that. Now, I've, uh, I've done it and I've heard other guys do it. It's, um, there's two outs, there's nobody on. It's a 6-3 game in the fourth inning, yeah, you know. Uh, a three hopper onto the uh, you know the backhand side of the shortstop who plants his right foot 
uh, throws over the top onto first base, uh, scooped up on two hops uh, by the first baseman who lunges to his right, and the inning is over. It's like, no, it's just a ground ball to short. The inning's over. It's like, you just <laughs> I'm guilty. I'm guilty. You know, you're like, that doesn't matter. Just let's move on. Now, if it's something unusual, you know, uh, ground ball onto the backhand is short. You know, you can okay, work in a little something. It keeps you in rhythm. You're still on top of it, right? Uh, bobbled, uh, recovered, throws on the first. You know, so if you're still on top of the action, um, and then something unusual happens, that's good. Okay, you know, you you don't want to mail in the the play either and just go, you know, ground ball is short, and he's out. No, he's not out. You know, no, now you're not on the play either. So that's going too far, I think, the other way. You want to stay on the play, um, and just tell him what you're seeing, observe it. Um, but you don't need to go overboard with it until there's something unusual. And, and if there isn't anything unusual, there's no harm in saying, you know, you know, ro- roller on is short. Uh, Newman in front of it, picks it up, flips on to first, and the inning is over. You know, like, okay, great. That's it. We don't need to use our imaginations. Let's, you know, sell some beer, you know, and <laughs> you know, pizza and move on to the next inning. And um, so uh, I, I think that's where... You could, it can be overkill, but for the most part, I mean, uh, just stay on top of the play. Um, don't um, bog down your call with too much description. You want to still be on top of the play. And I think, um, but when you're seeing something that's unusual, you should point it out if you can get to it very quickly. And that takes practice. That takes a lot of reps. That takes years of watching the game and really you know, you can kind of see like, um, for instance, maybe a catcher comes up ready to throw and like um, you, you you just know when the catcher can't seam up the ball. And, and it might just be a fraction. It just like there's just that double clutch or, or something, for instance. And, um, you know, point it out, you know, and throws late. Uh, you know, you, you can't maybe you can't get to it until afterward. But you're 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 collecting all that that data and you're going to describe what's happening so but stay on top of the play and if you can work in something quickly while you're describing the play great um but don't get behind the play because you, you want to throw in you know cerulean blue sky overhead today uh, well you know and miss a pitch or you know no okay just let the game work and you work around it and of course, in your work with the Pirates, you get to go back and forth between television and radio. Do you like that, first of all? And then when you're yeah. on television, kind of what's your approach, uh, making sure you're captioning everything and storytelling in a lot of ways the right way? Yeah, I think I think what we do is cool. Um, because, and, and then we switch the analysts, too. So I'm not working mm-hmm. with one analyst. Um, uh, you know, and this year, uh, luckily, we'll be able to work in Matt Caps and Kevin Young, too, who we intended to last year. But because of COVID, just did not. Michael McHenry debuted with us last year just for a handful of games. And we'll get to work with him, too, more in addition to John Wainer and Bob Walk. So um, to have five different analysts uh, to be on two media, I think, is great. Now, on t- um, for the audience and for us, because it keeps us fresh. But I think uh, on the television side, it's just the opposite, of course. You know, um, don't tell us everything that we already know. Um for me, and I've been told that um, my television style is a little different and I don't speak as much as a lot of other broadcasters. I don't like to tell you that it's ball one and necessarily, and I don't like to say ground ball to short, uh, you know, unless we haven't been talking for a couple of seconds and we're not in the middle of something and, you know, something needs to be said there. I'll use that as filler. 
but um, I also don't want it to be an ongoing, just, you know, uh, what was that, Mystery Theater 3000? It's just mm -hmm. like those guys just talking about the movie the whole time and never really, you know, you're missing out on what's taking place. I don't want that either. I want something, you know, it's two guys watching a game talking about baseball, talking, you know, about the game, almost always about the game or about baseball. Um, but it doesn't need to be just absolutely on point exactly what you're seeing all the time because a routine ground ball to short or a fly ball to the outfield is should not interrupt us from the point we are going to make or, or are still trying to expound upon from the previous play maybe, which was that bobble on the caught stealing you know attempt or whatever and then the, you know the guy overslid second base or what you know we got something interesting we're still talking about or maybe we're trying to bring up we're talking about the starting pitcher and and giving you some background on this starting pitcher and something i i, I what's the most important thing what is the most um interesting thing um that we can give you and that's that's how i do it i think i'm probably in a minority with that but on the television side that's what i like to do is i like to utilize my analyst what is you know what is his strength uh and strengths play those up um keep it relevant to the game at hand but also um you know don't get uh, jailed by what is immediately happening on the field you know the the director will show the ground ball and then might get back to some pictures that are describing what we're talking about if if we're on a roll with a point that i think the audience would like so that's usually my litmus test but i think you know some producers want you to really stick with exactly what's taking place at all times obviously if it's a very important game a playoff game things like that if i were working as a national announcer um i would stick to the game and, and only the game but local broadcast you know regular season game no i i feel like we can talk more big picture stuff especially with a team that's not doing well um you kind of want to get away from being down seven to two in the fifth <laughs> <laughs> right and then what can you tell us about your uh, preparation say if it's a friday night game between the start of the series between the pirates and the cubs and let's think pre-covid times as well just yeah how do you organize all your prep using your microsoft OneNote, which i know has been big for you throughout the years and then how do you organize your scorebook uh, for calling the game yeah, I still use OneNote. Uh, I, I find it to be really useful. Same um, here. I think other people have used Evernote, or and I don't know what it is, but some sort of fashion or Word or Excel or, um, you know, but uh, I like it because you can write your notes in, um, and obviously it syncs, and you know, we're, we're familiar with the cloud now, but when I started using it in 2012, you know, that cloud theory was like, oh, wow, it's like I could be at the batting cage, and it goes in there, and it's on my computer upstairs, and, wow, you know. Um, so that's so that's useful. But um, beginning of the series, I think the only difference for me is beginning of the series. I want to make sure um, that I'm in the visiting clubhouse um, at the uh, the first game of the series because there's going to be and, and and hear the manager talk, um, the opposing team's manager. I want to make sure at least the you know I might do that again, um, especially if I you know I didn't get to that player and I didn't get to that player uh, that first game. I'll go back and try to, you know, make sure I can talk to somebody. But um, there are questions I want to have answered, or just people I want to just say hi to, you know, ex ex pirates or you know Brewers and Dodgers or Great Falls White Sox and <laughs> Billings Mustangs and Jacksonville. I, those guys are retired now. But um, you know, there's there's 
there's there's reason to to kind of really know what the other team's doing uh, when the series begins. And I really want to be able to say, like, if we're playing the Reds, you know, Sonny Gray is, let's say, going to pitch the second game of the series. Um, and I noticed something with Sonny Gray, like, you know, maybe – Maybe he's throwing the slider more than the curveball, and he was always known as a curveball guy. Okay, why the slider more? Um, and I didn't see it anywhere in you know recent uh, uh, stories written on the Reds. You know, Reds beat people. Maybe it's an old story to them and to Cincinnati fans, but I just didn't catch it, and I'd like to know. Or I'd like to hear Sonny talk about it. So maybe I'll pull Sonny over the day before he starts so that the next night I've got a little idea, you know, Hey, you know, he struck him out on a slider right there. He's going to that more because he likes, the, you know, whatever. He, he likes that he can throw that for a strike more often than the curveball. He, he doesn't get called strikes on the curveball uh, as much as the slider, whatever, you know. But that's, that's the idea is I want to be able to tell you, the audience, I want to tell you why something is not guess. You know, who am I? I didn't play anywhere. You know, now our analysts might know these things or or could make an educated guess i'd like to tell you exactly why something is if i can i can never cover everything but the more questions i naturally have i'm naturally curious the more questions i have i would think the audience might have as well i want to try to get as many of those answered before the series especially from the other team as possible and then bring that to the audience Final one, Joe, uh, for somebody who has really gone through the, the gamut of minor league markets and, and years and years of, of minor league seasons, for those that are doing it right now and don't really see the the positive and sticking with it and, and realizing their dream, for somebody who has made it to the big leagues, what's your advice to them to try and stick with it and, and trust their process? Kyle, you had to say years and years, right? Years and years, years and years, years and years, years and years. When you get to middle age, it's such an awkward time because you're you're like, well, I used to be young, but I'm not young anymore, and I'm not old. You're young. I'm in between. I'm in between. So you start to go, okay, yeah, that's a little different. Um, yeah, I think, um, and I, st- I, you know what, I, st- I have buddies that doing triple-a games um they got good jobs they got good uh you know good setups um they're good they're big league more than big league ready um they're big league qualified um i think the difference is the want to you know how cliche is that but i I really do i think uh, a lot of times uh, at least i'm I'm thinking of a, a couple of friends specifically to me that that's that's what holds them back, and um, you know they've been in a long time. Now there's there's other guys that I know not as well, maybe you know guys have worked in AAA that they've got the want to. They are networking. They're doing everything right. Um, they're even talented enough. They're qualified. They they've networked. They've done everything right, and they still they still have not gotten the breakthrough. Um, They've been interviewed. They've been right there. They they don't have DUIs or like some skeleton in a closet or, you know, no. It, like they're doing everything right and they still don't have the job. So the advice is, is you just, if you want the job, eventually you just got to keep going for it. That's your only option. If you quit, you won't have, you don't have a choice anymore. You will not get the job. So you just got to keep going. Now I got lucky that, um, 
you know, I got hired when I did at different places. And, you know, my wife's from Pittsburgh. This is where we wanted to end up. And we were very happy in Milwaukee and would have stayed there forever. Um, this is, but this job happened to open up just as we were having our first child. You, you can't write a script better than that. You can't. Um, so all, all of our kids born here, you know, um, we were married here. Uh, my wife grew up here. It's like, it's a perfect scenario. Um, you know, and I'm a quick, quicker drive to Detroit than anywhere I've ever worked before. So, um, it, it works out perfect for us. That doesn't always work that way. Um, and you know, we would have been happy with any big league job, you know, but, uh, it just so happens at all. It was a fairy tale for us, but, um, you know, the, the suggestion is you just got to keep going because, you know, as, as, as good as this outcome has been, let's say for me personally, there have been, you know, a hundred times I've been turned down for a job. I've been interviewed. I thought, uh, I thought I got something. I thought it was going to be the perfect scenario and it didn't work out. Maybe something else worked out. Maybe nothing worked out. Um, and I got turned in a completely different direction. There's a lot of chances I've taken that, you know, somehow have worked out. Um, and they don't always work out. And sometimes it, it just it takes longer. Um, you look at, uh, let's say, uh, Terry Smith with the Angels. I think he was in his 40s. Uh, I know he was at least, yeah, he might have been close to 50, but I think he was in his 40s. Uh, but he had done AAA ball for about 20 years. Can't tell me he wasn't qualified. <laughs> you know, but for whatever reason, it's a subjective industry. When he had interviewed for a job, maybe that person said, well, we want somebody, okay, we want this person, person instead, what have you, um, you know, and, uh, but then he got a job and now he's been there for 20 years, right? Um, or close to it, right? So yeah, I think he's been there 20 years now. So that happens, that happens as frequently as, you know, and then, and then there are exceptions. Then, then on the other side of things, there's the guys like Joe Davis, who I've known since he was 19, and Joe is uh, once-in-a-generation talent, okay? Um, Adam Amin is a, a, a fantastic talent. Um, you know, Wayne Randazzo has made his way uh, to the number one market as a, you know, a play-by-play announcer, um, all very early in their careers. Uh, and those guys, I remember them asking me for advice. I said, well, what are you asking me for? You guys are going to just, just do whatever you want. You're going to be fine. Um, just, you know, be good people. That's my only advice. You're fine. Um, Joe's tape at 19, he's the Beloit college quarterback. Uh, I got his tape. I was like, this is big league ready. Now I have no advice for you. I really don't just, you know, interview well and, you know, don't do anything dumb. You know, that was it. I really had no advice for him. So there are those guys too. But for the rest of us that have to work, <laughs> they're not. So, I mean, they work too. But you know what I'm saying. They're just so good um, that that you you know you got to be patient. And I've had to be patient to a degree. But I got a lot of fortunate breaks at really good times. Um, some people have not gotten those breaks yet. They will. Um, you know, if you keep working at it, and and if not. Be happy with where you're at, too. Um, not satisfied, but be happy because I was always happy everywhere I was working. I'm happy where I'm working now, and it's a fun job. So I think, you know, you have to think about it that way so you don't get sour and you don't get tired of certain things, too. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm going to just give you something to fill your show with, but I don't have all the answers. <laughs> well, you filled it up well uh, now that we're at the uh, one-hour, eight-minute mark. But, Joe, we've enjoyed every bit of it. Just thank you for all the advice and the story of your career, I think, applies to so many people that are grinding it out in this business. So just thank you for the insights, and uh, we look forward to hearing you call Pirates games very soon. 
Yeah, hopefully we'll be on schedule this year, and I hope everyone stays safe out there and, and just let's get over the hump here and, and get through this year and healthy and happy. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Joe. All right, our thanks to Joe Block of the Pirates, and thank all of you for watching this edition of Broadcaster Hour.